This podcast is brought to you by Lacrosse All-Stars. Growing the game, one podcast at a time. Hey everybody, welcome to the Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Uvoli. The Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast is about talking to people who have dedicated their life to the game of lacrosse and learning about who they are, how they got to where they are today, and what they do to improve themselves and their teams. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at GC Sports. And if you're a coach, a parent, or you run a travel or club team, check out Game Changer Team Manager in the App Store. It's the essential all-in-one scheduling and communication app for lacrosse coaches and parents. Unlike other team apps, Game Changer Team Manager is free, easy to use, and doesn't serve ads. You can learn more at gc.com forward slash team manager. Today on the show, I talked to Brett Bucktooth. Brett is a graduate of Syracuse University. He was my teammate in 2006 when he was a second team All-American. Brett went on to play in the MLL for the Boston Cannons and the Rochester Rattlers. He was an all-star in the NLL for the Buffalo Bandits and the New England Black Wolves. For Brett, lacrosse runs in his blood. On this episode, we talk about how lacrosse runs in his family, the lessons his dad taught him, and how he earned a playing spot on Syracuse. Here's my interview with Brett Bucktooth. Brett, welcome to the show, man. Hey, Joe, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm re- really pumped to get you on. Like I said, it's been too long, but um, but let's get started. Uh, how'd you get started playing lacrosse? Uh, I got started at a young age, uh, where I grew up in the Onondaga Nation. It was kind of our thing. Everyone played the cross, and it wasn't pushed on us, but it's just what everyone did, you know. Mm-hmm. My father started playing the cross when he was very young, and it's just something where, I guess you could say throughout America, where kids would have basketball hoops in their driveways and kids would walk down the street with a basketball and then they would start playing with their neighbors. But that's how it was for the cops here. We all have our sticks and uh, someone would have a ball and we would just be walking down the street or go down to the, the outdoor box across and we would just play games all day. You know, it's not that we had didn't have babysitters, but we're, uh, I guess it goes back in the day where you could just hop on a bike and go for a ride down through town and uh, go to hang out with your friends. Kind of the things where you just stayed outside all day and played and then go home until it was time for dinner. So during that time, you just play lacrosse all day during the summer. So for as long as you can remember, you basically had a lacrosse stick in your hand. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I started playing competitively when I was three years old. So from the time I could walk and have a stick in my hand, you know, that's what I did. It was my enjoyment. It wasn't anything that I had to do. But, uh, you know, my, my father played. His his father before him played. Um, even on my mom's side, my grandfather played lacrosse. So uh, it was pretty easy for me to get into lacrosse because my other brothers played, my uncles played, uh, my cousins and my, my younger brothers played. It's just something that we always enjoyed and loved doing for as long as we can remember. Right, right. So, so I mean, you got a lot of people uh, in your family playing the cross. Who were the people that you, you looked up to? 
Oh, lacrosse-wise, uh, first person I looked up to was my older brother, Drew. And he was a lacrosse star at a young age. Uh, everything he did kind of seemed natural, whether it was hockey. Um, you know, he won a state title at a young age. He was getting looked at to play lacrosse at a young age. I mean, he started uh, playing varsity lacrosse as an eighth grader. Um, And so for me, growing up, him always excelling, I would always play catch with him in the backyard or play hockey. And because he did everything so well, I always looked looked up to him. And one of the things my father always taught to his players, and not just myself and my brothers, was that when it came to lacrosse or sports in general, watch as much of the game as you can as possible. And while you're watching, choose a player or two and try to emulate them, learn their skill sets. What are they doing well? If they're a goal scorer, how are they a good goal scorer? Do they take outside shots? Do they shoot from the inside? Do they do fakes? Um, How do they get into the open areas? Uh, Are they smart? Are they fast? Are they athletic? And how do they use their skill sets to uh, get to the next level? So I remember being like seven, six, seven, eight years old, going to the dome, and right around that time was when the Gates were winning the championships of Syracuse in '88, '89, and '90, which, which was perfect. I was like seven, eight years old. Right. So just as I was coming into my own as a young player, really learning the game, I had these superstars in my backyard, three miles down the road at Syracuse University. Hmm. Uh, so I had role models at home. And then I had role models in the, the college game. So, and, mm. you know, they turned out to be some of the best players of all time. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, you know no, no better people to learn from. Right. So it sounds like, um, so when you were growing up, uh, you know, being that lacrosse was sort of just part of your blood, right? It was just something that you were given a lacrosse stick from when you were really young. Um, when you were trying to get better, was... Did you have like a routine? Was was anything regimented? Where like you know, like at least once a day, I'd go to the wall or something like that. Or was it was it just you played so much uh, lacrosse with your friends and neighbors and family um, that that's where you got your practice in? Was it regimented or was it just like I'm playing pickup ball all the time? Well, my father being my coach, he uh, we had our his big thing is fundamental, mm-hmm. you know, pass and catch over the shoulder, stick between your shoulder and your ear. You know, he was real big on fundamentals before you could have uh, the other skill sets. You had to master your fundamentals. So he always preached that. But then in the backyard at home, he would say, try this, try that. He was all about mm-hmm. creativity, but he was, he would say, practice that stuff at home and in your backyard. And then if you can do it in practice, you can do it, but don't mess up my drills by trying to <laughs> do all this extra stuff because then it just it's a distraction to the team. We had a team thing going on at practice, but do your other stuff at home. So he, he encouraged creativity, mm-hmm. backhands, underhand shots, sidearm shots, uh, different ways of scoring because, you know, you can't always score an overhand goal. Sometimes you got to change your options, get a different angle. Mm-hmm. And so he he wanted us to have the fundamentals, but also – be creative. And a lot of that creativity was born in the backyard. You know, like I, there's a really good group, uh, two years older than me and two years younger than me 
were some really great lacrosse players. I know three of them went to Syracuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple went to OCC, kind of revitalized that program. Uh, a couple went to Cortland State, and a couple went to Le Moines. So a lot of kids around my age group went on to become uh, All-Americans or pursue their education at the next level. And it's because of our skill set for just through playing the pure game and having fun in the backyard mm-hmm. and then adopting our box skills with uh, the field skills. Mm-hmm. So when but, you know, as far as something that I needed to get better was I, you know, I have a chimney at my old house and, you know, it's just basic uh, uh, cylinder blocks. You know, I don't know how wide they are, maybe a foot, foot and a half, 18 inches, mm-hmm. but I would run side to side of my house and try to hit that chimney on the run. And I would try to hit one cinder block, you know, 20 to 30 times in a row to dial it in. So I would just stand and play wall ball off a little chimney. And that made my hand-eye coordination better, made the skill set better, and being able to hit a small target. Then I would try and do it on the run and hit the same block. Right. So I didn't have a big fancy wall. I just had a chimney. And if I missed, (laughs) I was going for a run. Yeah. (laughs) Gotcha, gotcha. So... When you're in the backyard and you're, uh, like you said, you're, you're working on your creativity, it sounds like, um, and the reason why I asked this question is because, you know, truth be told, when I did this stuff with my dad, um, I mean, there's really no other way to put it. My dad would, you know, tell me to work on my around the back, work on around the world, things like that, so that I can do them in the game so that people will notice me, right? <laughs> Um, but it's, but it sounds like, it sounds like what you're saying is you guys are working on your creativity, um, out of necessity, out of, this is another tool in my, in, in your, uh, in your tool set, um, to, or in your toolbox to, uh, you know, when you're in a tight situation to be able to pass the ball underhand or to be able to score, score backhand. Um, is that right? Is that how you were thinking about it when you were doing those things in the backyard? Well, that wasn't my mindset, but I knew that I had done it so many times in, in the backyard. And if I can do that against my other cousins that are four years older than me, mm-hmm. I should be able to do that no problem against kids my own age. Right. And so, yeah, I would do some showboarding once in a while, but there's times when you have no choice but to throw a backhand mm-hmm. or a sidearm shot to get your hands open or free. And, uh, you know, one of the things I do now, or if I do a clinic, like I'll do my wall ball routine with my, my stick above my shoulder and ear as proper fundamentals would would show you. But then there are times I would throw a sidearm against the wall and just do a, like, a, like a quick one-timer, almost like you would see in hockey where your hands are down low, mm-hmm. just quick flick of the wrist back and forth about 100 times. And just like in a game of lacrosse, you don't always get the perfect pass. Sometimes you got to catch it low by your knee or by your hip and get a quick shot right from there. Right. So I would incorporate those types of game-like situations into mm-hmm. uh, having fun and my routine of warming up. Right. Right. That's the, uh, that's the thing that I wish going back that, that I would have done a little bit more was, uh, I don't know, maybe it was just my personality and the way that I was taking it. But I always, uh, I'd always be up at the wall practicing around the, uh, around the world and around the backs um, specifically because like, you know, for lack of a better way to say this, you know, it's going to give me a chance to look good in the game. 
But then it wasn't until after I stopped playing when I started talking to a lot of people on the podcast. I actually think it was Coach Van who I had heard this before, but I never really uh, made sense of it where he said eyes of the stick, right? Um, yep. And that just made so much sense to me where it, it, it switched everything a little bit where it's like, you know what? You do look good throwing around the back pass, but also sometimes when people throw around the back pass or having around the back shot, it's out of necessity. It's because, hey, this is the best angle that I can get, or I can give myself a better angle if I shoot around the back. And it just sort of repositioned it in my mind. Yeah. I, you know what? My father always taught us that from probably when I was like seven years old. You know, as soon as I started being able to take coaching and learning to the next level, it was your stick always had eyes and he would line everyone up behind him and his stick. And he would hold it right in front of the goalie and say, look how much room I have at the net. And so we'd stand behind the coach, look through his stick and we would just see uh, the goalie. He would, and now he would say, okay. And he'd keep his feet still. And, but he would all he would do was extend his arm and extend his stick. And it would give him another three, four feet. And he said, now everyone get behind my stick. Now what do you see? Now you're seeing more net, and so it kind of breaks it down at a young age. But you, you know, you, you don't really realize it, but you use that skill set or that training technique for the rest of your career. Right. Right. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. That's a good. Um, <laughs> that's a that's a great drill. Um, yeah, it's something I teach my kids now. Even when they're four or five years old, I sh- I show them that, and I'll show them again when they're uh, fifteen, sixteen, and even the guys that are twenty years old. Sometimes they'll still need a reminder of the basic fundamentals. Right. Right. That's, uh, you know what? I mean, a little different. This is more, you know, this was one of the things that always stuck with me. And it's funny, the things that when you start playing lacrosse, the things that like you always remember. I remember first day of lacrosse practice, my coach telling me about the magic box, which goes, which fits right over your shoulder. And that's where your stick should be. And that's where the ball needs to go when you're having a catch. Um, and for some reason to this day and every single practice, anything I did with a stick for the rest of my life, I thought about that box to the left and to the right of everybody's head, right? Like that's where the ball needed to be played. It's just funny. The things that stick with you. Um, but let's, uh, let, let's move on. So, uh, you know, when you're older, you're a high school player, um, you know, what did you do, um, to get noticed as a, as a young high school kid? Put the ball in the net. <laughs> uh, well, I, I guess fortunately where I grew up playing high school at Lafayette, you know, we're just a few miles down the road from the dome. Uh, there was a lot of lineage that had already paved the path for me. Uh, see, my father was at Syracuse. I had two uncles that went to Syracuse. Um, a couple of people from my community were captains. And now in my community, there's only... I think it was like 1,200 people. Mm-hmm. And so when you're getting guys that are going to Syracuse since the 50s, you know, and the people know, all right, we're, we're going to the cross and we send guys to Syracuse. And then right. Syracuse wanted to be a part of, uh, ha- have a tie with the community. So mm-hmm. that, that goes back to Roy Simmons Jr. Um, you think of Oren Lyons. And they've always kept that open communication of, all right, who, who's the next uh, native coming from Onondaga Reservation? Right. And then like, all right, well, it was, you know, in the past it was my father, Freeman, 
and then I went down to uh, you know a couple guys went to Loyola. Uh, that was Gawa Schindler, uh, Neil Paulus went to Nazareth. They become all Americans. Next in line was Marshall Abrams. Right. Marshall Abrams went, became a Division One Player of the Year or a Defenseman of the Year. Uh, after that, I had a cousin, my brother Drew, and myself. So I don't think I did a whole lot myself to get myself noticed. I didn't go to camps or clinics. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I did try to do to separate myself was try to be more athletic. Hmm. You know, like we've, we've always kind of had the stick skill, uh, the IQ, uh, or the cost background was, you know, kind of almost second to none. But what I didn't have or my uh, other cousins didn't have was as much athleticism. So I would try to work on that because, you know, playing in box across, you're in a tight area, so you can't just run around. So you get into the open field, especially Division One athletes. Uh, I didn't see much floor time my fr- my freshman year because I wasn't as, as athletic. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I try to do is work on that personally to catch up to the rest of the, the athletes. Mm-hmm. And how do you, what did you do to work on that? One of the things I try to do is just uh, when my buddies were going to the gym, just go with them. Uh, right. You know, as anyone will say, it's, it's hard going to the gym by yourself, but it's always easier with a partner. And I didn't really have a routine. I would, I'd ask for strength and conditioning coach to uh, set me up with something. And I made sure they pushed me because, you know, being a young, younger guy, I, I thought I had enough skill set. I, you know, I relied on my, uh, my stick skills, but I really needed help being more of an athlete. So I try to seek guys out to, uh, to help me out. That would encourage me to go mm-hmm. and, uh, put in that work in for one year made a big difference. Right. Did you, did you play any other sports besides lacrosse? You mentioned hockey a little bit. Yeah. Uh, hockey was actually one of my, my first passions. Oh yeah. I was getting, I was getting recruited for hockey before lacrosse. Oh wow. And, uh, yeah. So I was actually interested in going to college for hockey. Hmm. And then I had a big year, my freshman year in lacrosse. And then that's, I switched gears. But growing up, I always played hockey, uh, soccer, football. Uh, when I got into high school, I did uh, cross country. So I was busy year round, year round um, and hockey was very similar to box across, five on five, up and down. You played offense, you played defense. I would play center, center. I'd play wing. Hmm. And, you know, I actually, for hockey and lacrosse, I volunteered to be goalie sometimes and my father said by you being goalie you learn from the goalie's perspective on what works for a shooter how do they score how what do they do in the positions what are their habits how do they hold their hands do they have do they hesitate before they shoot so by you being a goalie you learn what works for the goalies and what works for the shooters and so i use that as another learning tool of how do i get to be a better lacrosse player. And so I would be a goalie for a bit. And but okay, I remember that shot went in. I'm going to try this as a shooter next time. Hmm. Right. I think 
That is such a great point. That's one thing that I remember from when I was young. And I actually think, if I remember correctly, I think Casey Powell said it when he first started, you know, he would play defense um, when he was younger and that helped him as an offensive player as he got older. Because you start to you start to realize and you start to think about like, okay, if this defenseman is guarding me, what was it like when I was a defenseman? What did I hate the most? What do I need to try to do to lose this guy? And because you were in his shoes, you can relate better. Um, you, you feel like you can get in his head a little bit. Um, and I, I, I really like that. I, I, I think that's such an overlooked part of the game where if you're an attackman, you should play defense. And I, uh, actually, goalie makes a lot of sense, too. Um, you're a midfielder. You should play defense against a midfielder. You maybe even pick up a, a, a long pole just to see what that's like because um, that gives you such a, a, a better perspective on, on the other positions on the field. And that's one of the things my, my father always preached to his sons and to the players he coached was that, you know, you never stop learning the game. If someone right. has something to offer, you know, give them the respect that they have the knowledge of the game and learn from it. You know, you, maybe you can use it or maybe you can apply it someplace else in, in life, whether it's a, a discipline or a skill set. And that was one of the things was uh, I was four or five years old when he was saying that. And another thing he talked about was, uh, you know, your, your family. Family is the most important thing. Number two is uh, education or work. And then three is the cross. So, you know, just aside from coaching, but he would also give us life lessons. And that's something how I try to be a better person was through in the cross help shape that. Right. I like that. So you mentioned some of the other sports that you played. Um, how did those other sports help help you in lacrosse, if they did? Well, when I, I played soccer, uh, see, I wasn't the most athletic, but I was able to utilize the field space. And that's very important in uh, lacrosse where we all, you hear coaches say, use the time and space, whether you're there as a shooter or as a defenseman, when you got to close the gap defensively so they can't get a run at you or they can't get a shot off, you want to close that time and space. And then on the, on the flip side, as an offensive player, you want to try to get to the open area to either, you know, receive the pass or get into a shooting position. So you don't, you minimize time uh, cranking on your shot. And so that's what soccer did for me. I had to work off ball and then try to be the best role player that I could be, not being a star soccer player. I just played to get another dimension to my game. Mm -hmm. uh, basketball did that for me. Uh, basketball, you know, you, there's no contact, not like hockey or lacrosse. So when I would play defense, I had to use my legs to get in front of the person, um, get in the, the alleys so they couldn't pass or they couldn't get a, a lane to the, the hoop. So playing basketball and learning how to play defense with just my feet and body positioning really helped my lacrosse and with my lacrosse game. Right. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. No, that's a, so that's, that's a great point as well that um, I think I've talked about on the podcast as well as um, playing other sports, especially sports where you're not necessarily going to be the star at um, gives you another perspective, um, you know, teaches you how to be a team player um, GG basically just to have fun, right? Um, so that's a yeah, hundred percent. I played. Yeah. I played to have fun first. You know, I I wouldn't have done cross country. I wouldn't have done basketball if we weren't just to have fun. 
Right. I didn't play on like a select club team, but I would play in high school, um, play in the backyard with my buddies. And, you know, I, I kind of relished that not being a star player. Uh, I just wanted to play in a role. Let me right. do this for you because a lot of the times I was playing with my friends, and now if we were playing hockey or lacrosse, I was the guy. And just being a good friend, I didn't want to, it was fun not being the guy in basketball or lacrosse, just pass them the ball, get them the ball, like, you know, just helping each other out. And, right. uh, and I really believe I'm, I'm still best friends with those guys today. And the sports has a big part of that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So when you were, when you're, you're in high school around your, your junior year, um, was it, was there ever any doubt of where you were going or was it always Syracuse? My number one was always Syracuse. Uh, I got letters from other universities, right? but, uh, I still never really heard, got a complete word from Syracuse because they don't really recruit heavily. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, unless you're like uh, Mike Lavelle or Mikey Powell or someone yeah. like that. But uh, the interest is always there. Um, maybe it's because some, some of it was my grades. You know, I had to take an extra year of a postgraduate school because it, I didn't hammer down on the books the way I should have. And I, mm-hmm. but I learned some good lessons from that. And, you know, you can't take everything for granted. One of the things I learned at prep school was time management, how to right. hammer down on my books. Um, priorities need to be straightened out. And that really helped me to, uh, I, I think doing that got Syracuse's attention more that, that I wasn't going to go to school and drop out, that I'd be able to handle the rigors of the academic life. Hmm. So I think once I went to prep school, I think Syracuse really, really honed in on me. Right. So then, so what made you ultimately decide on Syracuse? <laughs> well, the biggest thing at Syracuse is uh, going there to win championships. Right. And uh, you, you see them all the time. They're in the backyard. Uh, one of the main reasons as well was my family. They'd be, be able to attend my games. Uh, my grandmothers, my grandparents, you know, like we have a very proud community. So anytime someone makes it to a division one or whatever, there's always an interest. And right. so I was interested in following the footsteps laid before me. And then being a role model, uh, not just for my community, but other native communities throughout the United States where not many native kids were going to college and getting a degree. And so that was one of my biggest things was, finishing my degree and I was able to do that and then now you look at uh, you see guys like Jeremy Thompson Cody Jameson Sid Smith went to Syracuse mm-hmm. uh, Lila Miles Thompson chose to go to Albany but yeah they got the degree so right. I think now you're starting to see more of an influx of native youth attending college and I, I think that's great just for the game and for um, the native communities as well right right so that first year at Syracuse, um, you arrive on campus. Did you feel like it was a fit right away? I did. I, I felt that that I was home. Uh, you know, like my whole life, I was. I would always wear Syracuse sweatshirts, uh, the hat. But it felt really official when you go to practice and you get your helmet, your gloves, sweatshirts, and the shorts. It was a sense of accomplishment, but I felt at home right away. Um, Also, 
being a hotbed that Central New York was, there were several guys that I played against all through high school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, guys like Jake Plunkett, Jarrett Park, uh, Greg Rommel, Greg Narowski, guys that I played against in high school, now now we're they're enemies in high school. Now uh, they're my brother at Syracuse University. So that uh, I felt a great bond in being close with those guys. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a, there's a different kind of uh, relationship with the people that are in up, upstate New York. Right. So, so you mentioned, you mentioned time management a little bit being something that you learned in that one year of prep school. Um, how did you, how did you balance lacrosse and school while you were at Syracuse? I guess, especially that first year, right? Yeah. The, the first year is always a little hectic for any college student. I don't think right. anyone goes in with a game plan and executes right away. <laughs> right. But what, what the, my prep school was reminded to me was that I had to go to prep school because I didn't do the book work in high school when I should have. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to make that same mistake twice. And what the uh, time management at prep school did was, all right, we had 30 hours. We had to get certain things done uh, within two hours. And so when I went to Syracuse, I didn't follow it as strictly, but, but all right, I need to set time aside, say from 8 to 10, Monday to Wednesday. And I would do my homework before the weekend. Right. Or to the best of my ability. But knowing that I had to set aside time like I did in prep school, I needed to do that. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to have the grades. And if I didn't have the grades, I wouldn't be able to play the cost. And that would be the worst thing hmm. for me. So right. having that, that time management and knowing that it works. And I think that was the biggest thing. I was like, all right, I did this before. I can do it again. I just need to sit down and do it. And right. uh, that, that. So, so I want to, uh, I want to dig a little deeper on this. Cause I think this is important, you know, not just for school, but for lacrosse as well. Um, so is it, you know, you're setting aside two hours. Is it just the, um, is it the routine that helped you, you know, like, listen, every day, from eight to 10 is the time when I study and, and, you know, you just get into that sort of habit is, is that the way it worked for you? Yeah. You know, just with anything in life, you have to be consistent and then you got to make it, make it a good habit. And that's what I, that's what I did when I was at prep school. It was Sunday through Friday, Sunday through Thursday was study hours. And so I try to incorporate that at school and I really have to do it. I know when I got away from it, uh, I was late on my homework assignments, or I'd have to pull a near all nighter. Right. So I was all right. This, that, doing it the old way when I was in high school doesn't work. I need to get back onto study hours and do it. You know, step away from my computer. Or uh, I didn't really play video games myself, but I needed to just block everything out for that time and do my homework. Right. Um, right. And and it saved me honestly. There's, and I know one semester I got uh, probation for having bad grades. I said, oh. "All right, well, I need to get back to this. I'm not. I can't. I'm not going home. I'm not uh, right. doing extracurricular activities. I need to get back to work." And you know, having that foundation of time management, doing my work, it bailed me out. Right. Right. So, 
So on that same note, you know, while you're while you're at school, obviously you need to get better at your game. What, what are some of the things that you're doing outside of, um, you know, practice and the normal team stuff that you're doing to get better at lacrosse? Well, I always had my stick in my lacrosse room. Uh, you know, I never had it very far. So even if I was sitting in my room or I couldn't get outside to the shooting facility, I would just try to be tweaking my stick. Uh, making sure I always had it close to me, kind of a, an extension of my arm, walking from room to room, just really being familiar with it. Because, mm-hmm. you know, without your lacrosse stick, you know, you're not a lacrosse player. Right. Uh, you know, I, I would do certain wall ball drills in, in my apartment, you know, hmm. throwing, throwing the ball off the stairs, trying to do certain tricks with it. Uh, one-handed pickups, uh, between the leg bounce shots. Uh, you know, ha- having hallway games with my uh, roommate. Right. You know, just I was I was having a stick in the head and having fun. You know, that's mm-hmm. what it all comes down to. And then, you know, because it's, it's those times when you don't have to do certain drills, or it's what the coaches just let you play the game and and you're having fun. Mm-hmm. Really, uh, I didn't have a set routine on myself because I felt like that was practice. I didn't want to be right. practicing. I wanted to have fun. Right. And being creative with uh, no rules, that, that's uh, lacrosse in its purest form. Right. Right. You know, that was that was one thing that I always appreciated about Syracuse, even that one year was, um, you know, this happened a lot, happened a lot to me in high school, never really happened to me that much in college, except I remember one game. This is the only time a coach ever said this to me during college. Um there was a there was a game and I forgot what game it might have been Hopkins it might have been Albany um, there was one game where I particularly had a hot hand for whatever reason um, I was just playing really well and I remember Tesco pulling me aside and just being like just go to the cage like for the you know like we have our game plan but when you have the ball you should be going to the cage every time right and that was the it was the only time I felt like. A college coach was like, "Just do what you do, man. Just, just go. Just let it rip." You know, that's me. Like, damn right. You know, I can do it. Instead of right. having your coach worry about pulling you by the scuff of your jersey and saying, "What the heck are you doing?" Mm-hmm. Go and do what you need to do to help us win. Right. And right, then you're exactly. like, "Man, I can just go have fun now. I, yeah. I don't have to worry about it." Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It, it like. uh it changed my mind frame from there, right? It was like something that I was like, oh yeah, you know what? I can do this. I have done this before. I'm going to go get after it. It, it was, it was great. That, that was one of the things that I love playing against, uh, playing with coach Desco or for coach Desco. Um, but so for you, as the season is going on, you know, it, it's a long season. Um, you know, I know that there were certain things that I had to do to stay motivated. What were some of the things that you had to do to stay motivated throughout the season? If you needed that. Oh, stay motivated wasn't too hard for me because uh, every home game coming up, there was family coming to the games. My mom was there. My number one fan was my mom. Right. Uh, you know, my my dad would be there, but he would still kick me in the end, which all fathers do, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, my buddies would come to the game and hang out. Um, and then my senior year, my son was born three days before class had started. Right. So having that as motivation 
was, was all I needed. The hardest right. part of being motivated for me at Syracuse was my freshman year and not playing. Mm-hmm. That was probably the hardest time of my athletic career was not playing. That was something completely new to me. Mm-hmm. And so that was extremely tough for a few months. Right. And, you know, I, my, my dad had to talk to me and say, well, do you still want to be at Syracuse? Is this going to play out? Hmm. Are you going to get playing time next year? And that that little self-doubt, not not doubt, but he just wanted, wanted to ask me if I was making the right choice. Right. I said, you know what? I wanted to be here and just because it's not going my way. I don't want to bail. I'm going to hmm. stick it out. And I, I think being a, I guess to be in a close community member and having people look up to you and support you and say, you know, there's a lot of people that have my back and I know they, they're, they're happy for me and they're, whatever I would do, they're going to support me. Right. But I, I wanted to motivate myself and make my community proud. So that was my motivation. And, right. you know, I, I'm pretty damn thankful I made that choice to mm-hmm. stay with it. So I want to uh, dig a little more on that. So, you know, I mean, this, this is something that happened to, happens to a lot of people, right? Is, you know, you, you're in high school, you're the star of your team, your senior year, maybe even your junior, maybe even all four years of high school. And then you get to college and the talent level changes and maybe you're not getting as much playing time as you want. Maybe you're not getting as much playing time as you expect, um, it sounds like this is what happened to you your first year. How did you, um, you know, what, what's going through your head at that point? How, how do you deal with it? Right. Like how do you sort of, how do you push yourself to get to the next level or, or, or be okay? And, you know, not playing as much as you expected. Oh, I, I went with my own expectations, but none of them were on out of this world. Like, uh, the starting attack, my incoming freshman year was Mike Powell, Mike Springer, Brian Nee. They had just mm-hmm. won a national championship. Uh, MP was player of the year. Mike Springer was like a second team All-American, and Brian Nee was a lefty. Mm-hmm. Um, so my expectations of starting, you know, it wouldn't have been realistic for me to think that I was going to be on the field that much. Mm-hmm. But you still, you're still accustomed to playing. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to play, and I I just wasn't seeing the field. So I was like, all right, well, you know, this, this is something new for me, mm-hmm. and I, I need to learn from this. Uh, then, you know, I talked to my dad about it, and he was like, well, learn from the players that are there. You had a top program, so push yourself to be better. Mm-hmm. And then so I went and talked to Coach Desto. I said, Coach, what can I do to get better, to get to earn, to earn it on a field? I didn't ask for my playing time. I asked what I could do to earn it. I think that just having that mindset of having to earn it changes what a coach's outlook is on you and knowing that you have to earn it. So he just, Coach Desco told me to, you know, make sure I know the plays so when I do get my chance, uh, I'm not lost out there. And he said, and just, uh, you know, get in better shape. He said, your stick skills are fine. They're great. But, you know, you can be a better athlete. And so that's, that was another thing for me was hearing that and hearing that over and over. I like, well, they got to be right. So that's when I had to push myself. But, you know, it wasn't easy to right. not play. But, you know, it was all more gratifying of working for it, earning that time, 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, truly that made me a better person of going out and getting it instead of having it given to me. Right. Yeah, that that's the key point right there, I think, is going in and asking, what do I have to do to earn it? Rather than saying, hey, what's going on? I want to play more. Um, it's thinking about, hey, coach, what do I have to do to get on the field? Right? Like accepting, okay, I get why I'm not on the field right now. What do I need to do to make you think that I should be there? I think that's a key distinction. All right. And, and, you know, that's something I learned from my mom and my dad. Of, you know, they're hard workers. My dad would work uh, 80 hours a week sometimes, you know, you know, at hmm. a 16-hour day. Right. Uh, my, my mom, when I was younger, I remember her working two, hour, two jobs to uh, help provide for my, my extra sports stuff, my equipment, hmm. my skates. And uh, knowing that you have to work for it uh, and, and being grateful for what you have, that really laid the, the groundwork for me as a person of, all right, work for it, be grateful that you have this opportunity. And then what am I going to do with the next, next shot? So right. I owe a lot of that to my parents and then just trying to translate into my lacrosse work ethic. That's awesome. Um, so this is the question I'm always most interested in asking, looking back on your college career, um, what, if anything, would you do different? Would you do differently? Uh, win the championship in my last game. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been great for us. That would have been great for right. us. That's the yeah. only thing I would change. But, you know. <laughs> I wish I could change college, that too. College, <laughs> yeah. And, and college and, and college life in general is all about learning. You know, right. if, it, if it was a cakewalk all the way through, I would say, oh, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't change a thing. But like I just mentioned, not playing my freshman year, having to earn it, work for it, that taught me a lesson. Um, so I needed that to grow, not just as a, an athlete, but as a person in general. Mm-hmm. And now uh, what's going to happen after college, it's not going to go my way. You know, I might have to take a different job role to get to the end. So I wouldn't change any of my learning experience for anything because, you know, sometimes we have to go the, the harder route to get to the end. And I'm completely happy with my experience at Syracuse Right. from now, not playing to earning it, to making relationships with these awesome people on my team uh, to having a kid during my senior year, which might throw some people off, but I used that as motivation. So I, I went through a lot in my, in college and I'm ever grateful for it. And I wouldn't change those experiences because they helped shape me as a, as a player to go on to professional rank. And then as uh, as an adult. Right. Right. So, so moving on to your professional career, um, let's talk about your transition from college to professional. Um, what was what was that transition like for you from college to to the outdoor game to the MLL? Well, getting to MLL is a whole different experience. Uh, <laughs> I remember walking on the field with the Boston Cannons my first time and seeing Jamie Hanford. He was a beast. Uh, Chris Fiore and Connor Gill, who was the man. Mm, so, right. I right there, you know, I thought I was a college hotshot, then go and play with these guys, and these guys have already done it all. And I didn't think to myself, oh, great, I got to go back to my freshman year. <laughs> but <laughs> right. uh, 
right away, uh, Coach Bill Day was like, Brett, you know, we drafted you for a reason. Just play your game. Have fun. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is professional. and But you're at Syracuse, and this is more creativity in the, the pro game. So just go and do you. And mm-hmm. that that was amazing to hear right away. So a lot of my nerves that I had were kind of put on the shelf because of that, the confidence from the coach and the confidence of these other guys playing their game. Right. And that, that was just a, a great humbling learning experience was that these guys have done it all. And, but yet they're still playing at a high level and, and having fun. Right. And, and talk about, you know, cause playing for the MLL is, is obviously a lot different than playing in college. I mean, for a number of reasons, but the one that always stuck out to me is that, you know, you practice once a week if you're lucky. Um, and that, <laughs> that might even be right before the game. Um, and then you play your game and then you fly back to wherever you're from. Um, so what's your, what was your weekly routine when you were playing? Um, how did you, how did you stay in shape for games? Well, there really wasn't a break for me, right? From, um, college uh we finished our last game in may memorial weekend uh i was playing senior a box across which is kind of equivalent to the the pro lacrosse that we play in the winter mm-hmm. but so a lot of those guys that play in the pros and during the summertime they play for their hometown teams but at the highest level so that's what i did i played continued playing box across at, a, at the highest level and my summer team had guys like uh, Mark Steinhaus, uh, John Tavares. Uh, the guys I was playing against were Brody Merrill, Colin Doyle. So all these big-name pro guys were playing summer ball. So I, I played one or two games a week for my team. And then during the weekend, I'd go play for the Boston Cannon. So right. also in that 2006 summer were the World Games. You know, I was mm-hmm. playing for the Iroquois Nationals. So I kept busy just playing across and uh, working out once in a while. But usually I'm, when I wasn't playing games, it was just rest day or family day and I'm back on the road again. So right. uh, my regiment was a little bit different than most guys coming out of college to play in the MLL because I was already playing box across two, three times a week. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, so then moving on to, um, uh, you know, I guess the first year in the NLL um, was that, was there a hard transition into that or because, you know, you grew up your entire life playing box and it sounds like you were playing box a couple times a week. Um, was the transition easier for you? I, I, I was more groomed for it mm-hmm. for box across, but still the, the whole thing of playing in front of, uh, thousands of fans and then being paid for it. And then expectations where if you don't perform well, you know, you can get cut, you can get traded. So that that whole different persona was a l- way different. That was completely new. Mm-hmm. Uh, once I got comfortable, because I was still pretty starstruck when I got on the field, like completely felt like a little kid again. These are the guys I watched when I was younger, like John Tavares, uh, the Kilgore brothers, Darius Kilgore, Travis Kilgore, mm-hmm. um, guys from Six Nations, like where Cody Jameson's from. Uh, those are the guys I looked up to as well once I the lacrosse rules are becoming more social and media friendly mm-hmm. that I still can believe I was playing with these guys. And yet 
and my coach had to come and talk to me and say, hey, Brett, you look a little nervous out there. Just play your game. Uh, you're good enough to play. Now just go play with these other professionals. Right. And so, again, I had to go through that whole feeling of putting myself in position to keep learning. And mm-hmm. so each time I would get to a new level, I, I would take a step back and I didn't pull my progress, but I was like, I was just like kind of starstruck. And I'm like, holy shit, I'm playing with these awesome guys, these awesome players. Mm-hmm. Do I fit in? And I had to be told to play my game. Right. So I guess uh, just, just having the amount of respect for the, the uh, elder players and coming in and doing my thing was a whole new experience again. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, that, that kept the game fun. If I just thought I could just come in and play and dominate, that, that would have been the wrong mindset. You know, so one question that, that just occurred to me, and maybe I should have asked this earlier, was, you know, you have, it sounds like from, you know, the, almost the time you can walk, you were playing some version of box lacrosse, and then you went and played outdoor lacrosse. What do you think, what are the skills that you learned in indoor that transitioned or helped you in, in the outdoor game that maybe some of the out, some of the players who play outdoor their entire life but never played indoor, um, you know, what were the things that you learned that maybe they didn't know? Well, I, I, one of the things, we see a different angle of the game where in field across, you get a running head start, you dodge from the freaking midline, dodge 20 <laughs> yards, make your split move, run another 10 yards, and hope that you're open, that you don't get split to. And one of the things is like you just pass the ball and move on. Because usually mm-hmm. if there's a slide or a half slide or a show, a guy might be open for a split second or his hands just might be free. In box across, we throw that pass without a doubt. Maybe it's the, the idea of having a 30-second shot clock and box across where the game goes back and forth. And you're, you're going to get possessions. You're going to get that ball back. But mm-hmm. the skills that we learn in box across of getting checked, um, not having much space, we're able to throw that ball in there with the confidence that my buddy's going to catch the ball mm-hmm. and either make the next pass or just take a shot. And field across, I'm not sure if they really teach that at a young level because you might lose ball possession. Right. You know, and you're not sure when you're going to get the ball back because there's no shot clock. So we were used to making accurate passes in, in close quarters. And that's one thing that, helped me in field lacrosse was that I, I just give me the ball here whether if I got a guy in my back or not I have the confidence to catch the ball if you can throw it to me right and then having that communication with field guys it, it takes a while but once you build that trust and the communication factor is huge it benefits everyone on the team right right I, I do remember one time it was either in practice or it might have been a game where you would just like just throw me the ball <laughs> like if you if I if I show my stick, throw me the ball, I'll catch it. <laughs> um, so so let's uh you know go to any game day, either you know professional while you're in college or whatever. What uh what's your pregame routine? What what's a game day like for you? Well, the game normally the day before is the big biggest prep of the game. You know, mm-hmm. having a, a good practice or a stretch. If you're on a travel day, stretch when I get to the hotel room. You know, have a nice meal. Uh, preferably a, a, a Cobb salad. Um, mm-hmm. 
if it was a long travel day, would stretch or take a hot bath, like a Epsom salt bath, just to loosen up, get hydration back in the muscles, wake up, go to morning shoot around. Now uh, that's typically an hour, and then we'll have a team meal, usually like uh, like chicken salad. Get back to the room, go have a nap, wake up, shower, freshen up, play some tunes in the hotel room, mm-hmm. and then uh, head down to meet the team at the rink. And you know, I one thing I always like making was a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for the slice of banana in it. You know, something light. I wouldn't eat anything closer to four hours before a game. So, and then right right before the game. I would always make sure I again get back to the basics. And I remember watching John Tavares do it. He'll pick one spot on the glass and just hit that spot for about you know a couple minutes, just making sure his stick's on before throwing any sidearms or backhand. Mm-hmm. Make sure your most fundamental shot and passes is on, and then you can just go on to your other routine. Mm-hmm. So I would always do one little shooting routine on the boards, make sure my stick was on, and then. Uh, make sure I stepped on the field with my right foot first. I always try to lead off on the right foot. <laughs> <laughs> really? That's just just superstition? Yeah, just a superstition. Yeah. Where where'd you get that one from? I don't know. I I think uh I remember stepping into the carrier dome my very first time and I was like, Alright, I wanna start off start start off on the right foot. And then I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, my first step is just me with my my right foot. So every time I would step on the floor, it was with my right foot. Uh, <laughs> just a quirky little superstition I had. But it, I remember it goes back to Syracuse when I first stepped on the dome with a jersey on for the first time. Huh. And uh, it's funny. I, I'll think about that moment as long as I keep playing. Right. That's awesome. Um, so walk us through, uh, you know, let's let's say back in college, right? You're preparing for the upcoming team. What are what are you doing to get ready for the pon- for for opponents? Are you watching film, um, or uh, you know what what are you doing? What what's your what's your pregame prep for opponents? My major prep or team prep that I remember is always Johns Hopkins at Syracuse. We always prep for Johns Hopkins like it was the end of the world. Right. Instead of going on spring break or someplace cool or. Uh, someplace off of my Florida, down south, a lot of other teams do for spring break. We were stuck in upstate New York in the freezing winter weather, doing two days for practices, prepping for Johns Hopkins. Mm-hmm. The worst spring break ever. Uh, but I remember we'd have practice, go, go do film, then have an afternoon practice. And it was usually not a great week of prep. Um, but generally, film. And, uh, you know, I always enjoy our short film sessions going against Hobart or Canal because it's just an hour down the road. Mm-hmm. And those were the fun games to get ready for. So we'd watch film, and then uh, once in a while, you'd hear coaches say, all right, you know, you can only watch so much film. You just got to go and play. Right. And, uh, the, you know, the, and honestly, the most fun games we ever had were playing against Virginia. And I'm like, well, you know what? We're not going to watch much film on Virginia. We're both going to run up and down. 
and there's going to be a lot of scoring chances, so sometimes film's going to do no good. But mm. just try to stop the play, save it, and get the ball up the field, and try scoring our own fast breaks. Right. So, so those, those what, were the funnest games we were against Virginia and uh, probably Albany. Right. So, so did you ever, uh, you know, like say you knew somebody was guard you in the, uh, guarding you in the week coming up, did you ever – look at film at that specific player or did you, you try not to think about it that much? Uh, I did. And I don't think I realized until later on, on how to be a defender. Like if he held a stick on his left side and if you're driving up GLE, does he try to hook you back towards the crease for like an inside roll? Right. Or does he just sit on your, your hips? And if he just sits on your hips, you know, I would try to drive in, and then because I know he's going to push out, I would use that as leverage to get an extra step out and free my hands eventually. Right. So there'd be a little things that I would try to watch from film with a more or less a defender's strong point and use that against him. Because if I know what he's going to do, then I can try to use that for my own benefit. Right. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, all right, Brett. I, listen, I, I, I remember. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I remember going against Jack Reed of UMass, and he was a real jerk to play against. And I know you like to lay the lumber, and I like I knew you like to hit late. Right. So there'd be times I would try to drop penalty into him slashing my arm a little extra, or if I shot, I'd run towards him a little bit more, because I know he's going to finish his check. And usually it was pretty high with the elbow to the head. So, <laughs> right. yeah, it did work a couple of times where I was able to drop much of penalty. So right. whether it's the person's attitude or their tendencies, you just try to learn from it. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, well, listen, man, we, uh, you know, I, I told you I'd keep you now or we're getting down towards the end of the show. There's one question that I've asked everybody who's come on. Um, what are three things that you do ev- that everyone should do every day to get better at whatever it is they're doing? Um, doesn't have to be about lacrosse, just whatever it is they do. Well, one of the things I know, that does pertain to lacrosse is if you have a specific skill set, get better at it. Get mm-hmm. so good at it that it becomes your niche. It's what you're good at and it's what coaches can trust you to be very good at and better than the rest of your competition. Mm-hmm. And then you can work on your all around game to be an all around better player. But if you're good at something, get better at it. Like mm-hmm. let it define you. That's where it becomes your talent card. We need a guy. Well, this guy can do it. He does it the best. Then you can work on the rest of your game. Right. And then uh, another thing is just always be humble and be respectful. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that being a good character guy says a lot, whether it's right. in the locker room, in the classroom, or uh, just in life. You know, if you're a good person uh, and you're respectful to your elders and you're helpful to those around you, people are going to want you around, whether you're being on a team or at, at, at work, be likable, be respectful, and uh, be a good person. Right. And then I, so that's, I, I think, just, 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 just be a hard worker. Just be a hard gotcha. worker. Gotcha. Brett, um, that's awesome, man. Listen, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and taking the time. And I'm really happy we got to, to catch up. I, I don't think, uh, I don't think I've talked to you since, um, you know, maybe maybe since we graduated college. I mean, I might have run into you a few times, uh, you know, when we played against each other in the MLL. But um, really happy we got a chance to catch up, man. Happy you came on. 
Hey, Joe, I'm, you know, I'm glad you went to Syracuse, and I told you that before, but, uh, you know, you're one of the really good guys that uh, I, I was glad I got to know. So uh, I appreciate thanks, it. Man. Thanks for uh, connecting with me, and I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Uvoli. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Uvoli. You can find more episodes of the Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast on this season at thisseason.gc.com. If you like the podcast, please take a second to give it a positive review on iTunes. This helps more people find the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at GC Sports. And if you're a coach, a parent, or you run a travel or club team, check out Game Changer Team Manager in the App Store. It's an essential, all-in-one scheduling and communication app for lacrosse coaches and parents. Game Changer Team Manager is free, it's easy to use, and it doesn't serve ads. Learn more at gc.com forward slash team manager. Until next time, keep working and keep getting better.